0: Well, as uh, Adam and Eve felt naked in the garden, I feel naked without my pulpit. But um, we'll figure it out. Take a Bible. There are Bibles in the pews if you don't have one. And turn to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 15. I was trying to think of a title for this sermon. In fact, Karen asked me, and I said, I have four titles. I'll give you just two of them. Uh, if I can remember them, inside or outside, accepted or rejected. And as we, as we open God's Word, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We invite his presence to linger here so we can understand your Word and go into this uh, powerful story this morning. And even though this is a condensed version, Lord, may the the power come through and affect each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you turn in the Bible to Luke chapter 15, and we do have it on the screen, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners, those are the really bad people. Any really bad people here this morning? Don't say, why are you looking at me, Pastor Mason? Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Who is him? Jesus. Is it possible that this motley crew, the bad ones, want to hear Jesus? Well, our text says yes. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are the good ones. They are the pious ones. They are the religious ones. They are the Bible teachers and the pastors and the the conference administrators. They are very religious. Not just pretending to be religious, but really religious. Fasting, studying the Bible a lot. They're really, really into it. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. They grumbled. They griped. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And of course, in the Middle Eastern culture, to have a meal with somebody is a symbol of friendship. It's a symbol of acceptance. And then we have some parables, three parables. In verse, from verse four to verse seven, the parable of the lost sheep. And then from verses eight to verse 10, The parable of the lost coin. And the parable that I want to speak on this morning starts in verse 11 with the parable of who? Now, I'm I'm not sure that's the right title for this because it seems to me this parable is really about what the father is like. But we can disagree over that. Some feel the elder brother in the story is, is where the emphasis is. But let's see what we find. Jesus continued. There was a man who had how many sons? Two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, you might question the wisdom of the father to do this, but he was the kind of father who had a lot of wisdom and he had a big loving heart. And he felt it best to grant the request. Now, I don't know what this younger son inherited. The Bible teaches us that the older son gets the double portion. But whatever it was, whatever this inheritance was, it was significant. So he's got his his pockets, so to speak, stuffed with money. I mean, if there's anything that a young man wants, it's money, it's stuff, it's things, right? Because we feel that those things are are what bring the happy life. He doesn't hang around, he packs these things up, cleans his room out, and the text says in verse 13, not long after that he didn't wait, he'd probably been thinking this through for a long time. The younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. When I was 17, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. I mean, I was planning, I was scheming, I was saving, I was doing everything I could. I remember I I earned five pounds a week as a printer, in a print shop learning the trade. The five pounds doesn't sound very much, does it? These are English pounds. They're worth more than dollars. But it's probably about eight dollars for all I know. I don't know what the currency rate is at the moment. Not a lot of money, but I saved and I saved and I saved as much as I could. And then it came, I had a bust up at work, so they fired me at work. And that was a huge relief to get out of that factory. I came home, told my mom and dad I'd been fired. My mom says, oh, no no problem, son. Understanding mother, my father freaked out. So dad and myself, bud heads, squabbling, fighting, couldn't wait to get out of the house. And we went to a place, a place, a far country, actually not that far, called Jersey. It's an island between France and England. A lot of young people will go there. To do, to do summer work, it's a tax haven for the rich. So there's a lot of British people that like to go to Jersey so they can get away from the tax collector. So, so I threw myself into the, into the Jersey way of life and, and dabbled in that for a while, all the time trying to find myself. So maybe there's some similarity with this young man here. The wild living, I know something about that, and I know whether it satisfies or whether it doesn't satisfy. And the fact that it doesn't satisfy is one of the reasons why I'm here today. Because if that wild living had satisfied, I probably would never have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, this young man, after he had spent everything, big spender here, there was a severe famine in that whole country. Now, you and I might think this young man has lost his mind. And in a sense, he has. He's really blown it. Tremendous opportunities that he's squandering. But maybe he's just trying to find himself. But then you have the good times, which I've said really don't satisfy. But now he has the bad times. Because a famine has come in. It's not a small thing when you don't have two pennies to rub together. Severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. People come to Christ when they have needs. Sometimes, church, people talk about felt needs. Are we meeting those needs? Are we pointing people in the right direction? So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed into his fields, to feed pigs. So here's this young Jewish boy from a wealthy family feeding pigs. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no, pigs have no charm for me. Some people really like them. Some people like them so much that they bring them in their home, go to bed with a pig. I mean, these things are done. It's a wild world that we live in. But you know, when the pigs are slopping around there, they start to really stink, and you start to stink, and this young man started to stink. And he probably thought his whole situation stunk. But he was stuck. Stunk, stuck. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. They might have been whole grain, I don't know. But no one gave him anything. It's really hard to have so many friends. But when they're fair weather friends, it sucks. No one's there to help him. He's in a tough situation, don't you think? But praise God in verse 17, it says, When he came to what? His senses. Now, people, when they study this parable, they're always looking for repentance because they say there's no way God's going to accept you unless there's clear repentance. Some would even go so far as to say restitution and so on and so on. Well, if you're looking for repentance, this is probably as close as you're going to get. And another statement that he makes in a few minutes So when he came to his senses, when he got into his right mind, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. This guy's knowing hunger now. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And what's the the implication if he becomes one of the hired men? He gets food. That's pretty important when you're starving. So he got up and went to his father. Now, though this young man did some crazy things, and some of you have children who very much could fit into this story, right? Some of you have lived lives like I have who who really can see yourself as the younger son. And some of the teenagers in this room today will become the younger son. Probably. Most likely. Possibly. <laughs> so, and I think he's a smart young man, don't you? He seems to have a plan, he seems to have a purpose, and he's gonna get his belly filled, no matter what. So while he's still a long way off, his father saw him. This is, this is a very moving part of the parable, I think. And was filled with what? Compassion. Now, many of us have not had fathers who are filled with compassion when we do wild, irresponsible things. But this father, that's the way he is. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, which was a very unusual thing for a dignified Middle Eastern parent to do. He ran towards his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. What did he say? Well, he doesn't tell you. But his actions are more powerful than words, don't you think? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. He probably pawned the one that he had. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill him. Now, all the vegans and vegetarians in our room are disappointed at this point, but don't let it worry you. It's just a story. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. That would be great if you could just end the story right there. On this positive note, we always want the nice endings to the story. But there is, this, there is the negative side. There is the elder brother. Remember how many sons? Two sons. We've, we've talked about one young, crazy, wild rascal of a son who's hopefully coming to his senses and, and confessing to his father. Makes me wonder how deep this confession was. Doesn't matter. The father's embraced him. The father's given him the status that a son rightfully has. However, not everybody sees it that way. Meanwhile, the oldest son, verse 25, was out in the field. He's a faithful, dutiful young man. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Whoa, what's this about? So he called one of his servants and asked him, Your brothers come, your father has killed a fatty calf because he has come back, the son has come back safe and sound. And the older brother became what? Angry. He is miffed, he is ticked off, he is hot under the collar. And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Over and over again, he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my crazy young brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home You kill the fatted calf for him. Who on earth can understand that? But that's the amazing thing about grace and mercy. There is no understanding it. You just enjoy it and you just experience it and you celebrate. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. One of the notes that comes through in every one of these parables is the joy on behalf of the owner, in this case the father, in finding the lost. Whether it be a lost sheep, a lost coin, here it's a lost human being. I don't know how many people have been in the Father's home, so to speak. How many people have been in Christian churches, in Seventh-day Adventist churches, and, and just thrown the towel in and left? But in this country, it's at least a million. Perhaps two million. Two million former Seventh-day Adventists out there who are stinking in sin, stuck in sin, and need to find their way back home. And God, and I'm sure this father in this story was praying constantly for his son. Don't you think so? Doing everything he could to, to that son would come home. And God, obviously, if, if the father in this story represents God, God comes seeking. God comes running out. God embraces. God kisses. God forgives. Because that's the way that God is. And the sooner we understand that, is the sooner that people will feel welcome to come back home. One of the stories that I was going to share with you, and I'll just give you just a, just, um, a few statements in it, was by a former pastor called Dennis Sellers. And have you ever heard of Dennis Sellers? Dennis Sellers had a really tough time in the Seventh-day Adventist Church when Desford was was uh, doing his thing, and when there was a lot of uh, debate and um, questioning in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And for whatever reasons, Dennis uh, packed his bags and left, left the church. We don't usually do very well with people that leave us. Anyway, as God would have it, he's moving, he's constantly moving on the heart of Dennis, And uh, Dennis, though he's being blessed by some of the Christians out there, like Charles Stanley, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur, all fine preachers, he feels the need to come back to the Seventh-day Adventist church. He says, many times while listening to sermons in the car, I pulled to the side of the road and wept uncontrollably. The burning desire to serve God and his people never left me. And yet, as the years passed, I felt I couldn't return to Adventism. So he's feeling being drawn back. But there's problems, there's obstacles in coming back. After all, no one there cared. I believe now that if someone had come to work with me, I could have been won back much earlier. In 1990, my wife Leslie and I decided to visit an Adventist church in Washington. And as we were about to go into the service, we met Natasha, that's not the lady's real name, on the church steps. I didn't know her and she didn't know me, but she called me an apostate. So this man has waited years to come back to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Finally got the courage to go back, to step inside the church entrance, and he's taunted with This phrase apostate told me I was going to hell, that I had the mark of the beast, and that God was going to destroy me. You don't belong to a church family like that, do you? Praise God. This was my first contact with Adventism in nine years. Leslie and I then moved on to Montana in 1991. We lived less than a mile from an Adventist church, and one Sabbath we visited. During the service, someone recognized my name in the guest registry as a former Seventh-day Adventist minister, and it was one potluck Sabbath I'll never forget, as the guests were, were the first to go through the line. And when we sat down to our table, no one joined us. Now, if you're coming into into a church after being away for so many years. It's natural to feel uncomfortable. You don't know if people are going to be accepting or not. You hope they will be, but you don't know for sure. No one joined us. Leslie and I ate our meal by ourselves. Never did we feel so unwanted or so unwelcome. Never did we get a call or a visit, not even from the pastor. Needless to say, we were deeply hurt. People want to be loved and accepted in spite of what they believe doctrinally. You catch that? No matter what people believe, everyone has the basic need to be loved and accepted. In this story, the younger son had that need, clearly. And praise God, the father did accept and embrace him. Anyway, he... uh, he says um, he did, had some success in sales, and then his, his business fell through. God brought him to rock bottom, and he finds his way back to, to the Adventist Book Center while in the Adventist Book Center. Now, just think of all the books that are in an Adventist Book Center. As he goes into the Adventist Book Center, he finds a book by Clifford Goldstein. Whatever you think of Cliff and whatever you think of his ministry, this is what this is former pastor needed at that point in time. And so he reads. He likes what he reads. It makes sense to him. He comes to his senses, starts to read as much as he can uh, about Clifford Goldstein, and as God in his mercy would have it, who should be coming into town, this is in Spokane, to preach... But Clifford Goldstein. Clifford had this, this preaching appointment, I think it was a year and a half before this event happened. And when this Seventh day Adventist former pastor told Clifford his story, how he'd been blessed by reading his literature, eventually Cliff Goldstein baptized Dennis Sellers. Come back, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son coming back into the fold. When you and I really grasp, and it can be hard to grasp if we've been brought up with legalism or if we, even if we've just had parents that have not necessarily been good role models for us, everybody has a picture of God. Let's give them the kind of picture that this parable, this story gives them. This is the heart of Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, well, Jesus, God, welcomes sinners, welcomes the wayward prodigals, and he does more than just welcome them. He throws his arms around them. He kisses them on the neck. He fully accepts them unconditionally because that is the heart of God. And when you and I understand that, we will begin to mimic the behavior of our Heavenly Father. And in this story, these two sons are going to learn from the Father so that they can live their lives as the Father would want them to. So let's bring this spirit of acceptance into our own lives and into our own churches. Let's be large-hearted, Loving, compassionate people. We're not talking of winking at sin. There's no suggestion whatsoever in this story that this young son is going to live an immaculate life from this point on. And we don't know how the elder son, we know that the young son is safe in the home. Status is, is for sure. But the elder brother, we don't know. It's open-ended. Where do you see yourself this morning? In the young man or in the elder brother? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you for being an amazing, merciful, gracious, loving God. Each one of us in this room wants to be like that Lord. So may we learn from you Keep our eyes on Jesus. And Lord, we welcome all of the people that you will send back into your fold so that there can be one fold and one shepherd. May that day come soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.